Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a very exciting episode of the Storybox podcast. Today, my friends, I'm delighted to welcome one of my favorite YouTubers, especially because I wanted to be a filmmaker growing up and everyone knew me as kind of like Jay, the film critic. Although this guy is one of the best film critics that I've had the pleasure of listening to on his YouTube channel called Critical Drinker. Critical Drinker, I've been doing something recently and that is turning the, the introduction onto my guest so instead of me gushing about my guest, I love just automatically just spinning it on them and saying, who are you? What do you do? It's probably better if it comes from you anyway. <laughs> so Critical Drinker, please take it away. Who are you and what do you do? Oh, man, I always suck at these intros. But uh, okay, so you probably know me as the Critical Drinker. I run a halfway decent YouTube channel where I talk about uh, modern movies and generally a lot of the problems and stuff that uh, we have with them nowadays. I usually have a few drinks when I do it uh, because that's the best way to cope with modern media. Uh, and I also do the occasional positive review. It's been known to happen. So um, that's probably what I'm mostly known for. I also dabble in writing novels. Um, you might have heard of the the Ryan Drake series by this crazy guy called Will Jordan. I have heard he's a bit rubbish, but uh, no yeah, relation. that's my alter ego. Yeah, no relation whatsoever. But yeah, that's my alter ego in, in the writing world. Uh, and I'm in the midst of uh, making a, a short film about uh, about that character. So that's all good fun. So that's kind of what I do day to day. Well, Critical Drinker, welcome so much to the Storybox podcast today. It's a pleasure to have you here. You are a very, very busy man. You mentioned something in the introduction that I'm actually fascinated by to start off with, which is you do all these reviews and you're very critical of many, many movies because Hollywood is insufferable at the moment and for damn good reason. But you have a couple of occasional good and positive reviews. What was the last movie that you reviewed that was somewhat positive? 
probably the most recent one was uh, a Finnish movie called Sisu, set during World War II. And <clears throat> that one just came completely out of left field. Um, just this little low-budget movie. Um, didn't seem to have all that much attention on it. And I just happened to see it on a couple of recommendations from friends. And I just thought, damn, this is fun. It's completely over the top and ridiculous, and I don't care. It's really good fun. It's just an awesome kick-ass action movie. Uh, and I think they made their budget go a really long way. So, yeah, that was my most recent one that I gave a really good review for. Well, that was speak, just a few weeks ago. I was speaking earlier about how Hollywood is sort of doing a ton of remakes. There's not really much originality. Do you think that Sisu was somewhat original or were they copying other movie tropes and story arcs and all that sort of stuff? I mean, you know, the war movie is not exactly a new genre, but uh, it taps into this word that called Sisu. It's like, for Finnish people, it's like a term for grit and determination, even in the face of hopeless odds. And so it doesn't really have an equivalent for us. But uh, the, the whole movie is built around that concept of just refusing to give up, no matter how injured you are or tired or whatever. Uh, and I think it's just, yeah, it's an interesting message. It's a theme that carries through successfully throughout the film. Uh, and it's a lot of fun at the same time. It's not afraid to get a bit ridiculous at times. And I think it has a lot of fun with its premise. So, yeah, it's it's pretty original as far as it goes. It's not trying to remake anything. I sort of, I actually watched your review on Sisu. And, and I remember when I saw the trailer, I was actually excited to to watch the movie. I haven't watched it yet. It's on my, my list of movies to actually get around to seeing. But I love the, the war sort of genre. Um, and these days it's like with modern technology and things of that caliber, we're able to sort of make movies look a certain way and feel a certain way. But have you noticed that war movies today are getting better regarding the storyline or do you think that Hollywood is still insufferable and ruining war movies still? They're, they're just not a big genre at the moment, war movies. You know, if you went back, um, 10, no, probably 20 or 30 years, Saving Private Ryan really kicked off a new um, a new sort of renaissance of war films. Uh, and you got a lot of great movies in that sort of uh, late 90s, 2000s sort of period. Um, it switched as well to things like the War on Terror for obvious reasons. So that was very much in the, the public consciousness. Uh, nowadays, though, you're, you're just not getting very many of them. We've had a few... Uh, interestingly, there's been more of a focus on World War One recently. You know, we had 1917, we had uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, which is an interesting thing to tackle because it's such an old war. But um, yeah, there's a bit of renewed interest. Um, yeah, technology can definitely do things that would be too dangerous or too difficult to do with practical effects. The obvious danger, though, is that you'll rely on it too much with just a bunch of actors in a big green warehouse just standing against nothing. And so, you know, it's kind of garbage. That's basically the Marvel um, formula for making films. Uh, so, yeah, you just have to be careful with technology that it doesn't uh, it doesn't just become this crutch that you lean on um, to, to avoid doing practical effects or um, to try and compensate for a weak story. You know, the, 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 the classic line, I guess, is like, we'll fix it in post. You know, this this take didn't go too well or whatever. Nah, it's fine. We'll just fix it in post. You know, it's a horrible way to make films. I uh, I miss directors like, the, you know, the Stanley Kubricks of the world who, you know, if we have to do this take a hundred times until it's exactly perfect for what I want, that's what we're going to do. And, you know, it's probably a nightmare for the actors, but the end product is fantastic. So that's 
yeah, I feel like you just don't get that now. Studios control um, so many of these productions to the point where the director is just a person who who calls action, really, and everything else is just done around them. So, yeah, I, I miss that. Anyway, I know when I went off on a bit of a tangent there. I'm sorry. No, don't worry. I love tangents. It's all good. Uh, do you think that if some movies, like there were some of the great movies that were made, say, 80s, early 90s, and even the early 2000s, do you think if some of those were perhaps like made today properly with the same storyline but with modern technology, do you think that it would be better than the originals or do you think that cult classics are forever going to be cult classics? I, I think cult classics are, are that way for a reason. And I think there's a certain charm to the limitations of the technology at the time. You know, you, you can see things like, I don't know, you look at the first Predator movie. Oh, yeah. uh, you can see that some of the some of the um, invisibility effects are a little bit dodgy because you know the computer graphics and stuff were in the, their infancy and they they didn't have them, but it doesn't matter because the practical effects and the the, the way it's shot, the the performances you get from the actors and everything, uh, it all compensates for it and it just contributes, I think, to that that charm. Um, you know, and I've said uh, as well, like if it comes to things like. A space battle, for example, in a sci-fi movie. There's something just so satisfying about, say, a miniature of a spaceship just getting blown up with pyrotechnics. It just looks so fucking cool. Whereas, like, when when it's done with CG weightlessness to it, there's a lifelessness, and you just don't feel the impact in the same way. It doesn't give you that visceral satisfaction. So, no, I I don't think they would necessarily be improved with modern technology. I mean... You saw it with uh, with George Lucas when he tweaked the the original Star Wars movies in the nineties. Uh, for whatever reason, he decided, yeah, I'm going to put in a bunch of like excessive CGI crap. Uh, didn't add to it in any way. It didn't make the movies any better. In fact, you could argue it detracted from it because it was just distracting and it was very old later. So yeah, I, I don't think so. Nowadays, it's not necessarily. Oh, we'll just fix it in post. It's sort of now. We'll make it in post. It's all good. <laughs> Almost, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we've talked about this before on on live streams, where uh, particularly with uh, things like the Marvel films, um, the directors are essentially just there to attach a name to it. Uh, they they'll be brought in, particularly when they they did um, the movies over the past few years. They would bring in like Oscar winning directors or, or you know, people with uh, some kind of like unique selling point about them. Like, yeah, it's the first woman of color to direct the Marvel movie or whatever garbage. Um, but they, they don't really get to do anything. They're brought in to just direct the scenes where it's like some people standing in a room talking. And then when it comes to like the action sequences, the fight scenes, uh, the big, you know, special effects shots. They're not even involved in it. It's just a whole different unit that goes off and does that stuff. And the director's not even really connected to their own picture. Like they're Yeah, it's like a musician who's just brought in to like um fill in a space in a band for like one gig and then goes away again. He's got no real connection to it. That's what it feels like. Uh so yeah, it's it's not a great way of making films, I don't think. What are your thoughts on Kathleen Kennedy's work? I think she's fantastic. She's a real asset to the industry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good look, man, I mean, this is, I mean, obviously she's had an extremely long career in Hollywood and I don't want to take away from what she's accomplished as a producer on films. Like clearly that was her wheelhouse and it seems to be very much uh, when she's paired up with guys like Steven Spielberg or George Lucas or Zemeckis or whatever um, to be on their, their movies. And it's like, look, you've given 
you've got a specific task to organize the, the the elements we need for this movie. You know, I've got the creative vision and stuff. You just need to make it happen. That's a great producer's role. And she was obviously good at that, coordinating things. The problem is when you put her in charge of an entire studio, uh, you have to have a creative vision as well. And I just don't think she has it. And so that's then filtered through to every property that she's uh, she's produced under under Lucasfilm. Um, and yeah, I think the she's clearly got a, a bit of an activist mentality of, you know, uh, say Star Wars has been very male dominated up until now. I want to have, you know, more female representation and just gone completely over the, over the uh, line with it uh, to the point where it's just a meme now. Um, so yeah, those combination of elements made for a disastrous president of Lucasfilm. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know if it's just an example of promoting someone beyond their abilities. And I think that's maybe what's happened there, but yeah, man, they've uh, they've killed uh, Star Wars effectively. Um, you know, nobody's interested in the movies or the TV shows anymore. Really, uh, they killed Willow. Yeah, God rest its soul. They really tried with that one, <laughs> and uh, it seems like they're about to. Like they've ruined every major property that Lucasfilm's ever produced. Uh, at a certain point, you just think it's time to retire. This isn't what you're good at. Just leave now, or retire, or. Or you get fired because... I think so, yeah, because I I don't think she'll get fired. Uh, I don't think uh, they would publicly fire uh, a high-profile woman like that. She's kind of protected. Uh, But I think given that... I think she's like almost 70. It it might be that they just quietly suggest it's time for you to retire. You've done your bit. You're only going to tarnish your legacy by keeping making stuff like this and having more failures. It's time to just go. Maybe she will, maybe she won't. I don't know. Which is interesting to me because if she is that age and she came up through, I guess, the cult classics and and the golden age of cinema, you would think like there was something there. But now it's just sort of like I'm pandering to modern so-called audiences, but even modern audiences aren't receptive to what they're creating. So it's not really ringing a bell to her. Like it, it, it worked back in the golden era. Because those were good movies, or some of them. But well, they, they were good movies, but they had good writers and directors behind them. Like she yeah. wasn't a writer or a director. She didn't come up with the ideas for Indiana Jones or, or ET or any of the things that she worked on with Spielberg. Uh, she was just there to facilitate it. He was the creative side of it. Mm. Uh, and so, I, I yeah, be in charge of the creative aspects of, then you can't do it. And so you're gonna you're gonna end up producing garbage. Mm. I think play to your strengths more and Kathleen's seems to be more producing, not running an entire studio. That's the way it looks to me. But um, yeah, it's really sad to be honest with you, ruining Star Wars, ruining Indiana Jones. And I told you just a moment ago, like I was actually, when, when I saw the trailer, I'm like, I love Indiana Jones. I grew up watching it, same with Star Wars. But then when I saw Indiana Jones, I'm like, nostalgia almost. And then I'm like, please, please do not ruin it. <laughs> yeah. And it looks like, sadly, that they have. And some of the reviews that I've been watching and reading have been, he's an old Indiana Jones. Firstly, my question was, okay, I understand why bring an old Indiana Jones. Like, just leave it at the fourth one. But, you know, trying to make more money, that kind of deal. But even then, they're just saying you've got this uh, feminist in the in a role making Indiana Jones look like this old hag, 
And I don't think audiences really want him to go out like that. <laughs> it's just... No, I mean, that's uh, that's it. I mean, he's the adventurer. He's the guy who's supposed to be cracking the whip and saving the day. And uh, yeah, this... this um approach that they've taken to these older characters that uh they're they're kind of broken down and sad and depressed and, and you know they did it with Luke Skywalker they did it with Han Solo um and they're, they're apparently doing it with Indy now uh and they need to be somehow fixed or saved by like a young feisty feminine character uh it, it's been done so many times and people don't want it like every the harder they try and push it the more people reject it because I don't want to see my hero as a broken down old man I want to see him kicking ass and yeah, to, to talk about your point about his age, yeah, like, they were making jokes about how old he was in Crystal Skull, and that was 15 years ago. You can't be doing this at 80 years old. No, There was no, there was no like, appetite for another Indiana Jones movie. You know, we watched Crystal Skull, and it was just like, yeah, this is it, I'm done now, you know? It, and so coming back to it so long afterwards... Um, it just doesn't make any sense. It just reeks of just desperation. Like we've we've got to just make something. We can't make any more Star Wars movies because nobody likes them. Uh, indie is all we've got left, and we should do it before Harrison Ford dies. You know, and that's that's the mentality here. And it's it's a shame because you know it, it obviously means a lot to Harrison Ford. You could tell he was emotional. We very well addressed at, at Cannes Film Festival, and um, you know the the fact that finish that legacy a little bit. And it, that's a shame. It really is a massive shame. And all for the fans too as well, like having to watch an emotional Harrison Ford and not give him a proper send-off, as it were. Yeah. Uh, I just don't think people are going to see the movie. I think there'll, there'll just be a, a, an apathy to it. I think they'll just think, no, I don't want to put myself through that. I don't want to see indie like this. No. be too painful, to be honest. Probably, yeah. And I, there's a lot of people who fall into that camp of there's only been three Indiana Jones movies. Uh, there's only ever been two Terminator movies. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's only two Aliens movies. <laughs> and that's it. And I'm like, yeah, I can get that. You know, uh, it's great. It's best to live in happiness, you know? Yeah. How about the Predator movies? Do you think there's only like oh, one Predator movie? I, I would take two of them. Uh, yeah. I, I always maintain Predator of an underrated gem and it's worth it for Gary Busey just being fucking in, in it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah I don't love that but yeah I, there was after that there was nothing worth watching uh, with the Predator movies so yeah would you be keen on seeing sort of like a Predator movie with old Arnold Arnold nah not now maybe 15 years ago or so when he was still physically capable of doing stuff now it's just very obvious like the guy can't run anymore because he's got bad. Uh, you know, he's had heart problems and stuff, and he's like seventy-five. He just the, the best he can manage is just like walking slowly forwards while shooting a gun, and it's like, nah, I don't want to see that. Uh, I I think, yeah, a Predator movie with him back in the mid nineties perhaps would have been awesome because he was still like relatively fit and big, and uh, he could have done something pretty cool then. Um, yeah, but that time's passed, and it's just time for Arnold to stop doing action films. Uh, I love the guy. He's been amazing. Um, again, when we talk about legacy, trying to pretend like you're still, you know, 35 and you can still kick ass when you're you're in your mid 70s, uh, it's just yeah, it's not doing you any favors. Uh, it's better if he just stops now. Did you see the announcement that he's joined Netflix as the action creator, or action director? I think it was. Uh, yeah. So like I. 
getting into that sort of thing of, you know, um, a bit like Clint Eastwood, how he moved more into directing in his yeah. later career. Uh, I could see Arnold doing things like that, you know, and and given some of his expertise, passing it on and stuff. Um, yeah, I could see him doing that. Well, he knows action films. He's like one of the best action movie stars. Uh, well, yeah, there's just never been another like him. No. Nah. You know, he's, he's been very unique. And it's funny because with each new decade, there's always that debate of like, who's going to be the next Arnold Schwarzenegger? And, you know, we've had it at times, like people thinking it was The Rock and nah, it's not. He's not. I don't know how to describe him, but he's not like a, a movie star in the normal sense. He's just like a commodity or something. It's weird. He's been in loads of movies and made like <laughs> insane amounts of money. I just don't think he'll be remembered for anything in particular. Um yeah, I think maybe there's a guy called Alan Richson who did the Reacher uh, yeah. TV show, and he was in Fast Ten, and he is like insanely big. He, he can act. He's got a bit of charisma about him, and he's young enough to have like a pretty pretty long career ahead of him. He could be the next Arnold Schwarzenegger, but yeah, apart from that, he's just kind of unique. He's a, an, an interesting one. I think I saw him in that DC uh, show. Forgot the name of it now. It's like with Robin, uh, for, yeah, oh. blanking on the name of the show. It was pretty terrible, to be honest. Right. <laughs> Re- Reacher was the, it. Well, Reacher was the first thing I saw him in. And I, yeah, straight away, because I'd read the, the Reacher books and seeing him, I was just like, yeah, they, they nailed the casting right there. <laughs> like, he's absolutely enormous. Uh, he's very quiet, very reserved, very stoic, and he just beats the crap out of people. Perfect. That's Jack Reacher right there. I actually yeah. like um, Richardson, like uh, Richard Richardson. I think I'm saying it right. Um, I actually like him because the fact he's a he's a family man too. So I look at that particular quality, uh, yeah. and then I, I go, you know what? I'm I'm happy to follow someone that has got his values in line. Like yeah. he flew. I think he was supposed to be at a premiere, and he flew to go and see his wife somewhere for a date. And then flew back. I'm like, man, that's that's a man. <laughs> more of those. You know, really cool. To be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, Chris Pratt's very, you know, he, he's a family man. Seems like a really chill guy. Um, and yet, the 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 sort of press and you know the people, a lot of people on social media, they've just got it in for him. Like they they've, I feel like there's just this. They're ready to pounce. If he says just the wrong thing at any point, they're going to nail him. Um, and I think it's just because he's like vaguely Christian and it doesn't even make a big deal out of it. He's just like, yeah, you know, I go to this church and stuff. Like, seems like this the chillest guy. Like, because he's like that, they're like, oh, you must be one of them. We're going to get you. <laughs> it's such a weird thing. But yeah, it's almost just like normal sort of traditional family men in Hollywood are like outlawed almost. <laughs> Like yeah. they're ostracized. Not just that, but if you even mention the fact that you have any sort of religious Christian. Oh, yeah, you're done in Hollywood. Yeah. You're gone. You're blacklisted, man. <laughs> yeah. If you stuff up just once, they, they will like get rid of you entirely. So it's a miracle yeah. that Chris Pratt has been able to remain in the majority of the, the large roles that he's been able to get. But uh, I mean, God help the guy <laughs> if he does something. Yep. He's, he's uh, yeah, there, there's like I say, people would be just waiting to get him. Yeah. yeah. What do you think has actually happened to Hollywood in the in in the first place? Like when when was your initial 
look and going, what? why is Hollywood heading in this direction? I think uh, it probably began with something like um, Ghostbusters, like the, the, the all-female reboot, because... It just seemed to come from a place of real like malice and you know spitefulness. Like, oh, you know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna take over this property that like got built by someone else, and yeah, we're gonna like shove in a bunch of female characters that nobody likes, using a bunch of like not particularly funny like comedy actresses, uh, and yeah, it just started this big storm of controversy around it. Um, you could maybe argue that Force Awakens did this to some extent as well by bringing in Ray because. As popular as that movie was, even then, like watching it, I was just thinking, man, this Ray character is a bit overpowered. Like everything just seems to happen really easily for her. Um, but I just kind of went with it thinking, like, well, okay, maybe it'll get explained in the next movie, like why she's so awesome at everything. Uh, no, it didn't, as it turned out. Um, but yeah, I think that that 2015, 2016 period was when it really began. Uh, and it's just been on a downward slide since then. Um, yeah, the 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 constant remakes of old properties, um, the you know the, the the changes with how like say men and women are portrayed on screen, um, the 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 race swapping of characters like legacy characters and things like that, uh, all of it just contributes to this atmosphere of like uh, we just want to we want to like torch everything that came before. I think um, a guy named Mauler who I do live streams with a lot, he has such a good. Um, term for this he said it's not the passing of the torch it's the torching of the past uh, and he's exactly right it's such a good way of putting it um it's just like this hatred for what came before but also we're going to exploit it to, to launch our own crappy products uh and it's it's just built up and built up this like antagonism towards audiences because whenever audiences push back against it or say like why are you doing this this really doesn't seem to work very well you know, they immediately get labeled like, oh, you're racist, you must be sexist, or whatever it might be. Um, and again, it just it starts like this war. On, it becomes this like weird battleground online where, you know, people used to always have differences of opinions about films. I was fine, but it was never as bitter and hateful as it is now. It's uh, it's like full on, yeah, it's full on conflict online all it's the time. Become very political in nature. Yeah. It really is, yeah. Because it used to be like, I don't know, take the Star Wars films, for example. You know, there'd be people who hated the, the prequel films. There'd be people who loved them. You know, they could argue with each other and they would take the piss a little bit, but it didn't, like, define your whole being. Now it's like if you... There's people who love The Last Jedi or people who hate it, but it feels like the people who love it, like, it's kind of almost like political reasons. Like, it's some kind of stand... Um, you know, I know that the the wrong people dislike this movie, so I'm just going to pretend to love it all the more just to annoy them. Like it's yeah, it's weird. Are you afraid of being cancelled on YouTube for apparent hate speech? No, because I think I'm always conscious of what I'm saying. Like, I I don't think I ever cross a line into you know I'm going to pick on someone because of their 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 ethnicity or their gender or anything like that. I don't want to do that because I'm not that kind of person criticizing the art and the storytelling that sort of thing um and so i don't feel like I, I ever do cross a line and so i don't think uh you know i don't think there's a reason why i would get cancelled that way i mean I, I caught plenty of flack from people sure but that just goes with the territory i think what do you um, do what, I, what, uh, what do i do yeah what do you do when you cop the flack just ignore it because what's the point like say 
arguing with them. You're not going to change their mind. It's just draining two hours out of your life that you could be doing something far more productive. And it's just going to annoy you because you're not you're not going to change their their opinion of you. So just ignore it. Like they're they're going to move on and do something else eventually. <laughs> that's my always that's always been my policy and it always will be. YouTube comments is like a whole in of itself. <laughs> like it is, but then like to some extent, like I can't I only get like comments like i can get like ten thousand comments on a video or whatever mm. uh clearly i'm not going to be able to read all of them so what i tend to see is just the, the top ranked ones because it's what other people agree with and they they upvote those comments uh and yeah as long as they're generally positive then i'm happy that people have enjoyed my video yeah you're always going to get an occasional person who just wants to have a go at you but again what are you going to do you're going to you're going to dwell over that one comment that uh that criticized you Nah, he just got to let go. I saw someone on Twitter today put up, like, you know, The Princess and the Frog, that yep. Disney, Disney film. The person goes on Twitter, he goes, in the, the next five years, he sees Disney making Princess X and uh, a transgender black <laughs> character non-binary as well and the frog is something to do with non-binary as well being black and racially charged or something of that nature i couldn't stop laughing because of the even though it's absurd it's probably true <laughs> like looking at the way hollywood's going at the moment with culture it's it's shocking <laughs> it really is yeah it's just, well, it's self-defeating because ultimately it'll get so ludicrous that just everyone will reject it pretty much. And we're kind of heading to that point anyway. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can see it with things like, I don't know, what was that? Um, Strange Worlds, like the animated movie that uh, that Pixar did. Like, that, that just bombed big time at the, the box office. People just completely ignored it, you know, and that's, that's what will happen. And you can only keep making... <laughs> movies like that and losing hundreds of millions of dollars before um, the money runs out. Do you think they'll ever learn that? What's that, sorry? Do you think they'll ever learn? Well, they will when the Mr. Bank manager comes to them and says, hey man, you've got no more <laughs> money in here. Can't make any more films. You know, I think, uh, you know, Warner Brothers learned it already. A string of flops in their DC universe. Uh, they just cleaned house and said, "Right, we're canceling a whole bunch of projects. We're bringing in a guy who theoretically knows what he's doing." And uh, yeah, how about it? Fix it. And um, you know, Disney will get to that point as well. I'm sure uh, Lucasfilm will get to that point. Marvel will get to that point because none of them are making money. Eventually, the money will will end, and then you got nothing. So the, the yeah, the the market corrects itself. That's the great thing about markets. <laughs> yeah, when people boycott and say not. Nah. We don't want this crap in our movies. We just want to be entertained. Please entertain us in the way we're asking to be entertained, not be overly pushed with all these agendas and ideologies every five seconds because it just detracts from the story and makes you yeah. bored out of your brain. It also makes you annoyed. Uh, there was one particular movie that I was watching the other day. It was the remake of White Man Can't Jump. I can't believe that I even spent 15 minutes of my time watching that crap. But right. I had to I had to watch the original just to sanitize myself from watching the, the remake of it because there's a line in there where the white character, he walks past a black guy 
And he apparently didn't pay for his stuff. And then the black guy says to the white character, he goes, this is why I'm afraid of white people. Right. I'm like, <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> yeah. But it was just racially charged. And there's another scene where the white guy is talking to the black character, the, the main main one, and they started talking about like different race kind of things, race topics. like. Mm-hmm like cultural race things. And then he goes, that's enough of, I thought we weren't going to talk about racism, Thought we weren't going to talk about race. Like stop it. He had Mm -hmm. original, they were talking about it left, right and center. It was great. It was fun. It was fine. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's weird because you you skip back to movies from like 20, 30 years ago and you realize like they were more progressive in terms of just like racial integration than they are now. Mm. Because like you say, if you, you know, it's one thing to to um, have diverse casting and making a big song and dance about it and constantly shoving it in people's faces. And that's when you start to annoy them because it's like, okay, I get it. I get what you're trying to say. You don't have to keep hitting me over the head with it. Uh, yeah, I mean, like um, Velma was a good example of that where it's like, I don't know what it is, but it's like Mindy Kaling, the writer, must just have this weird obsession with white people because it's like every two minutes in the show, she's talking about them. It's like, what is your problem? <laughs> I don't get it. Like white weird. people are the problem for everything now, apparently. I mean, it seems to be, yeah, like, in, uh, I don't know. It's like that's the one group that's safe to mock, I suppose, in comedies and stuff. Like uh, men, white men that are straight and preferably rich. It's like, yeah, that's it's just open season on them. And it's like, yeah, you can fine make make fun of them, sure, but like you can't just exclusively do that because then it just becomes tedious and boring uh, and just comes across as really like bitter and mean spirited. Okay, to you, you know. I would be doomed in Hollywood, man. Straight white males. <laughs> so, uh, I'm I'm gone. Uh, and the funny thing is, I actually wanted to be a film director. I wanted to be the next Spielberg. Growing up, everyone. Yeah, I, I could do that. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> this, that was my my goal and my dream. Believe it or not, everyone was going. I had my my 21st birthday party was a Spielberg inspired party so i had everyone come dressed as a spielberg like character from a movie and i was supposed to be like the next the next spielberg i had my my glasses these these are what i call my spielberg glasses making me think that i look like i'm smarter than i actually mm-hmm. am. uh but yeah that was sort of like my my ambition until i realized just how how crazy of an ambition it actually was <laughs> And uh, I, how crazy Hollywood actually is now. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's no, there's nothing wrong with wanting to get into directing and, uh, you know, trying to reach that that level or maximize your potential. Huge industry, and there's a million people like just like acting, just like want to be a musician or whatever. You know, for every one person that reaches the top of the, that game, there's a million other people who who never got anywhere. It's just a, a huge thing to get into. Um, but I know that. You know, there there was a really interesting article I read a few months back called Hollywood's New Rules, and it was talking about how they have brought in quotas for essentially everything. Uh, writers, um, directors, actors, all that thing, all that sort of stuff. Um, and it's like an X number of people have to be female, X number have to be certain racial um, demographics, X number have to be um, LGBT, 
And uh, I just think, how how is this okay to just say, right, we're going to discriminate against like a massive swathe of the population uh, just by saying like, well, you don't meet the diversity quotas. You can't even be involved in this. We're not even going to consider you. I'm pretty sure that's discrimination, but it seems to be okay now. I don't don't get it. It's all Uh, reverse now, man. Well, yeah, but the, the, and then the result is, well, okay, you end up hiring people that you hired based on like anything other than their talent. And when you do that, they start doing shit work and you end up with shit movies as a result. And well, look where we're at. You start losing money because you've hired all the wrong people. I don't, well, know. I don't do any work at all. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> I mean, we've all seen the videos from like a day in the life of a Twitter employee just before Elon took over. And if you like go to one meeting that's got, you know, no particular relevance and then spend the rest of the day just hanging out at the free like restaurants and like going to the, the on-site gym and stuff. And then like leave at 3 PM to go home. It's like, well, okay. You've clearly just demonstrated you're completely useless and there's no reason to employ you. So. And they, and they still think that they're oppressed as well, which is just, yeah, it, it's not, I, I just, yeah, I, I would love it. Cause you know, I, I grew up, like in a working class household in Scotland in the eighties and early nineties. And like, yeah, that's, that's when people actually had to graft pretty hard to make money. And yeah, I just, I can't relate to these people that have never really done a day's work in their lives uh, and they still complain. It's fantastic. I say it's the, the age of victimhood entitlement. That's what we're living through at the moment. Young people Mm -hmm. think that they're, owed everything under the sun and we're supposed to give it to them. And then mm-hmm. if you're straight white male, it's your problem because you're privileged and you, your, your ancestors, you have to pay for everything they did. And if you don't, then you're an, a racist, you're a, a bigot, you're everything now under the sun. It's the age of also labels. So we're going to throw so many labels at you and think that it actually is real, but it's not like, People just love to throw things at you and they get offended if you say, I'm not that. <laughs> I think uh, it gives them an, uh, an opportunity to feel special. Yeah. Because, you know, if, if you can say that, uh, you know, you're, you're LGBT, uh, you're, you're like 10% black or something, uh, or depression or something like that, and you can just slap a bunch of labels on yourself, it makes you special, it makes you different from everyone else and whether it's that you can demand special treatment or special considerations or you just want to tell people that there's there's all these interesting aspects to me you know none of which have to do with your actual personality or character your charisma your ability to engage with people it's just a bunch of things that you've applied to yourself so that you can you can feel special Um, and it's usually just people that have really not got much going on in terms of their actual lives or their own accomplishments or whatever but that lets them feel something about themselves so uh, most of the time, though, I'm happy to just let them go off and, and fail quietly <laughs> because that's what happens. It's like you can you can you can demand whatever you want, and you can think you're entitled to whatever you want, but ultimately, the world's just going to turn around and say, uh, "No, you're not." Uh, on your way, and and that's it. Like they can't do anything, and it's yeah, they they can go and live in their their like two bedroom apartment with five other people um, surrounded by cats, and uh, yeah. yeah, fail as much as they want. I don't, and we get to critique them on shows like yours. You get to critique, critique their work, I should say, uh, and yeah. you get to laugh all the same because they. I were- mean, uh, 
Yeah, there was a great thing that I saw today from like one of the writers of Willow because it's <laughs> it was a show that was so bad it's actually been taken off Disney Plus because they don't even want to show it now. <laughs> and uh, he was raging about it, like because uh, Forbes had put out an article saying, "Oh, this is your last chance to see how bad Willow is before they delete it." And he just goes, "Oh, fuck you, Forbes!" <laughs> and I just thought, well, maybe you should have written a better show, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That'll pay you. <laughs> yeah. And again, the market corrects itself. Success, but ultimately you produce garbage. Um, you get nothing in return. So, Isn't Disney yeah. removing like 70-something titles from the yes. streaming service? Yeah. Uh, I, I, they, they say it's for financial reasons. Like, I, how much money does it cost to just put it on the server and leave it there? Like, Don't they own them all? They do, yeah. That's weird. Yeah, I don't know if it's... I mean, maybe you have to pay residuals to the people who worked on it. Uh, I'm not sure what the contracts would state, but um, yeah, you can assume that they're not cutting out anything that people are actually watching. Because if it's popular and it's making money, then sure, they're going to keep it there. Yeah, probably, probably dead titles. Yeah. I reckon. And I think Disney Plus is... Uh, it's starting to... It's plateaued already, and I think it's starting to decline in terms of a service. Uh, I think they lost... Well, they lost some, like 4 million viewers in the last quarter. Um, quite a lot of that was due to India, excuse me, cricket rights over there, which is, you know, fine. Okay, you, you lost them. You're going to lose a, a lot of customers. But they lost some 300,000 customers in North America, which they'd never done before. They'd never seen a decline in subscribers. And you're probably going to keep seeing that because they don't produce anything that people want to watch. Did you see what uh, Disney did with a Little Mermaid poster for China? I can guess. Did they change the color of her or like minimize her in some way? <laughs> yeah, they did actually. They <laughs> they tried to make it look like she wasn't a black actress. Yeah. Playing the role. Which Just like they did funny. with Black Panther where they suddenly covered up his face and put the mask on him. It's like, you know, this company that champions diversity and all that other great stuff, like when it comes up against making money, uh, they're, they're happy to drop it. Because it's like, I'm sure... In June, they'll change all their logos to like the rainbow colors and stuff. But I bet you they don't do it in Middle Eastern countries for the same reason. Like they know their market and they know what people will accept and what they want. And it's like, yeah, your your principles only take you to the next paycheck. I think they only know their overseas market that doesn't really necessarily subscribe to the work agenda that they're pushing. They have yes. to change it for them. Because they make a great deal of money from them and we can't piss off those people. But we're we're happy to do it with Western culture because apparently Western culture is more accepting. We're more liberal, right? We're more progressive. Well, we they are. Uh, we, there's many sensible people that have a problem with any of that stuff. Um, you could argue like it gets a bit obnoxious how much it gets shoved down your throat, but um yeah, like they they think it's popular enough that uh, they they could put all this stuff in and it will make them money. That's their that's their goal, I guess. Um, they think it's uh, a thing that gets them a little bit more credibility in our mm. markets. It, it allows them to get that precious ESG score that's really that's really important for companies. Um, and so, yeah, they're happy to do it because they don't get the pushback uh, in Western countries because they are liberal. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's it's their model, you know. Right. But they they're not going to mess with their overseas markets because again, they know the market locally. 
Got to have that uh, that big score. So important. I did a video it, it, explaining it. What it actually? Oh yeah, it's fascinating. It's yeah. really fascinating because people don't appreciate like how short of actual liquid capital like most of these companies are. Like when they factor in all their expenses, all the things that they had to pay for last month or whatever, all the things they have to pay for month like the next month ahead, they have to go and borrow money so often. And if they can't get that capital, they can't function. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, they're they're essentially held hostage to like their ESG score. Uh, it's it's terrifying, but it puts things into such context for why they have to do these things. For those people that don't know, like where they're getting their actual finances from, is it from the big banks, from the government? Who's actually financing these major film companies if they don't have enough money, let's say? So you, you, you'll you have companies uh, who are essentially just like international finance companies. Uh, and they're just there purely to lend money to major businesses, governments, film studios, all that stuff. Uh, I, I can't remember what the technical term for is, blanking because it's early in the morning here. But um, the, the point being, like they've been used for a long time because... Uh, businesses often have to just make up a shortfall. Like they know, I don't know, I've got $100 million coming in next month, but I've got um, a $50 million like payments that I have to put out, like expenses. I don't have $50 million right now, but I know I'm going to have it soon. So I'm going to borrow $50 million to cover the shortfall. And that constantly happens backwards and forwards uh, all throughout the year. And it's never been a problem until a lot of these um, lending companies really embraced the whole um, ESG, you know, environmental, social, and governments, or governance, sorry, principles. And so they won't lend to companies that don't adhere to that that principle. So, you know, if you, I don't know, say you're a staunchly conservative media outlet or something, they're, they're probably not going to, um, they're probably not going to lend money to you. Um, or if you you advocate for fossil fuels or something like that, so it's bad for the environment. Again, same problem. Uh, and so you you essentially have to toe the line with them if you want to get their money to keep operating as a business, which is kind of uh, kind of terrifying. But then your 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 result of that is okay. We'll toe the line with you, but then we alienate our own customers so they don't spend any money on us anymore. So we don't make any money anyway. So it's a it's a catch twenty two situation. And I think a lot of them are starting to realize that now. You can't keep playing this game. Because you're just going to keep losing. It's a game of uh, very technical chess, and it's it interesting is. to see who's playing and playing well versus those that are actually losing badly, and those are getting knocked off the chessboard completely because <laughs> yeah. they've just they've gone and subscribed to the woke mind virus enormously. And when people go, "Oh, wokeism doesn't exist," you can't even describe it. Mike, you don't have to look too hard. Like the radical sexualization of not just our movies, but in in culture, in clothes, in beer ads, in I mean, I'm not looking forward to June because I know my Twitter is going to blow up like crazy. <laughs> it already <Yeah>. is, <laughs> but still, like people don't want to see this kind of stuff, and they're trying to let these companies know that hey, we're we're happy to spend money on watching a movie that we know that is actually going to entertain us and not you guys just forcing this down our throats. Anyway, um, I wanted to ask you how you got started in making these kind of videos to begin with, like your, your critical drinking or critical drinker channel. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I've told this before, um, but I'll try and give the abbreviated version. So <clears throat> 
like uh, probably about 10 years ago, I was just messing around with YouTube because this was the early days of the platform. Uh, I was just interested in making videos, you know, um, doing a bit of movie criticism, I think a few books and video games and stuff like that. I uh, didn't really have much of a persona back then, um, but I was just enjoying the process of making stuff. Uh, started to get a little bit of a following, like tiny, obviously, by today's standards. But, um, you know, I, I was getting, you know, 10,000 views a month or something, just starting to pick up. But I was also trying to get published as an author. So I was doing those two things at the same time. And um, I got my first publishing deal, which was great. You know, I got started as a, as a professional author. And so I really, for me, I had to make a choice. Like, do I keep doing sent to, to writing books. And so I thought, right, you know, YouTube's not really making money for me or anything. Uh, I'll just have to knock that on the head. Uh, and so, yeah, I concentrated on doing the books for the next like eight or nine years, um, which was great fun and stuff. But like the YouTube channel just kind of sat like, you know, forgotten about really. Uh, and then it got to that sort of period of um, things like Ghostbusters, uh, The Last Jedi, um, and you know, really started to notice like where movies were going. And I thought, man, I really want to add my voice to this. I want to start talking about it again. So I started making uh, making videos again on YouTube. And again, I still didn't have a persona at the time, but then I just so happened to um, hit upon the idea of like, I'd be interested to do like a sarcastic video um, where I'm just like, I'm saying one thing, like pretending to like champion woke stuff or whatever. And I'm like, everything I'm showing on screen is just the exact opposite of what I'm saying. and might be funny. Uh, and so I did that and I had a few drinks beforehand. I ended up like slurring my words and um, man, that video exploded and got like a million views. And so, yeah, it didn't take much uh, brain power to think, Hey, this is quite popular, this critical drinker persona, I should probably do more of that. And so that became, yeah, my my uh, character for YouTube. Uh, and it's just snowballed since then, you know. Um, I dropped the sarcasm thing because I figured eventually it's going to become really different. across by seeing the opposite. So uh, I ended up dropping that, but the persona stayed there. And then I've just like added to it over the years and like put more lore behind the drinker. <laughs> it's great. And do you still drink every single time you review a movie? I think you have to to get through it. <laughs> yeah, not as much as I. I don't drink toilet duck or, or brake fluid or anything, contrary to popular belief. Um, but yeah, and every time I do a live stream, I, I drink because it's fun. Are you an actual Jack Daniels man? I've been known to drink it on occasion. Yeah, um, yeah. Back then, it's funny. Like people were like, "Why did you? Why did you pick Jack Daniels of all things?" And um, that image that became my avatar. That was back when I was really poor and Jack Daniels because it's like cheap whiskey. And so I got, you know, I happened to do a screen grab when I was drinking the bottle and that became my avatar and it just kind of stuck ever since. So it just became like, yeah, part of the character. Man, it's iconic. I'll tell you what. So, yeah. <laughs> very, I love your videos, man. And I guess I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about you. You've been making write, uh, writing novels. Uh, for quite a long time, you're a storyteller. The way you convey even your reviews, there is still a story in there. What have you learned that makes a great story versus just a good one? I mean, I think uh, to different things in stories. So like for some people, it just might be a really compelling plot. For others, it might be really um, awesome characters that you're fascinated by. So it's different for each person. Like for me. 
the thing that always draws me in is the characters. You know, I, I want to have people that I care about. And if they're in danger, I want to be on the edge of my seat, like really worried if they're going to make it out. Then I know a movie or a book or whatever has told a good story. Um, but yeah, I want to take that, take a bunch of characters that I like and I'm interested in uh, and put them through an interesting um, journey. As a, as a bunch of characters, like where are they going to go? Um, do they have to uncover some mystery or solve a problem? Like anything like that. Um, and there's no there's no magical formula for like how to tell the perfect story or how to make the perfect movie. Um, but you know it when you see it, and uh, that's what's so endlessly fascinating about reviewing movies and and games and TV shows and all that. Um, the endless permutations of this idea. <laughs> some people get it right. Some people get it wrong. You know. Oh, sorry, you cut out there for a little bit. Um, oh, okay. Uh, how far did I get? <laughs> you got to uh, permutated, I think it was. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's that's what I find so fascinating about reviewing things, um, movies and TV shows and all that, the endless permutations of the same idea of, of what storytelling is, you know, and how some people get it so right and some people get it so wrong, you know, but that's that's what makes my job enjoyable. Do you ever get tired of doing all the reviews? Nah, because I think if I did, I'd stop doing it because I don't want to just be someone going through the motions and hating my job, you know? Um, but like I say, as a storyteller myself, it's a fascinating process just to see like such uh, such differences, you know? I, I would say I'm getting a little bit tired of reviewing superhero movies. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think a lot of people are like that anyway, so it feels like that genre is dying out in, anyway, so uh, yeah. What do you think is the next genre to emerge? I, we we were talking about this. I think it could be video game adaptations. Yeah. Because Looks Last of Us, the Mario movie, like they've proven it can be done and it can make money. And I think that's opened the floodgates. We're going to see a lot of this over the next few years. Did you like Mario? Yeah, I thought it was fine. I mean, not exactly complicated or anything, but just a, a fun, good-natured, colorful kids movie, you know? Yeah, I still haven't seen it yet. I need to... Um... It it's once again on my list of movies to actually go and see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't I haven't been to the cinemas, man, in in such a long time. I didn't even watch John Wick, believe it or not. I wanted to go. Oh, okay. My dad and I were were huge huge fans of John Wick, so we we saw the other three in in the cinemas, but we didn't go and watch the fourth one. So hmm. now now my dad just asked me a moment ago if I wanted to buy it on on Amazon. I'm too cheap to buy. It. <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> have to sail the high seas for that one. Yarr. Yeah, man. You, you pay $24 something dollars here in Australia for a movie ticket. And then you, I don't want to spend $24 to buy the actual movie itself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Um, last two questions, if that's all right with you. Uh, mm-hmm. Your three favorite movies of all time. Oh, okay. Um, not in terms of artistic merit or anything like that, just <clears throat> ones that I like uh, yeah. would probably be, and this probably changes every time people ask me, uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, uh, oh. Big Big Trouble in Little China, and last one, oh man, it's a tough one. It might be Lord of the Rings, um, The Fellowship of the Ring, probably. Why Wrath of Khan? Because it's so good. It's uh, it's weird because um, it was probably to Star Trek when I was a little kid. Uh, my dad and I watched it together, and 
yeah, as as far as I'm concerned, it's never really been beaten as a Star mm-hmm. Trek movie. I just think it's really like pretty much the perfect Trek film. And yeah, I just I can rewatch it whenever and I still get a kick out of it. Really like it. You're talking about the Chris Pine one? No. No, the old the, one. Yeah, the old one. Ah. Gotcha. I was, I was thought you were talking about the Chris Pine, Pine ones. ones. <laughs> no, no, no. The the Wrath of Khan is from like 1982, I think. Yeah. So that's that's yeah, yeah the one the, the William Shatner era of Trek. Yeah, the golden era. Um, yes. Final question for you: What's what's on the horizon for you? What's on the horizon for Critical Drinker? I mean, you're growing enormously. Uh, pretty much every single day, it looks like. You've got, I believe, uh, a, a short film or is it a feature film coming out soon? It's a short film, yeah. So it's based around my Ryan Drake books. Uh, hoping to have that out by the end of the year. So looking to film it over the summertime. Obviously, there's a bit of post-production and stuff involved. But uh, yeah, I'm quite involved in that. And hopefully, I'm going to fly out to Canada to see some of it get filmed. So that's all good stuff. Uh, and yeah, apart from that, lots of live streaming. I've got my open bar every week. Uh, doing more video reviews and that and um conventions i've started doing conventions so um yeah that's all good fun too do you have any stars in the ryan ryan drake films i'm oh, not allowed to say not allowed to say. <laughs> oh, no no i mean to be fair this isn't like an a-list production or something this is like you know lower level stuff but uh you know we're we're hoping to get like proper actors involved in this this isn't going to be like just you know guys with their their iphones recording it you know um but yeah i can't speak about casting until we got people locked in unfortunately that's all right totally understand critical drinker man thank you so much for the great chat really really enjoyed it and uh really do appreciate your work man so thank you for joining me on the Storybox podcast all right thank you man appreciate appreciate Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 